and welcome to the first episode of Not Just Numbers, Honest Conversations with a Financial Advisor and Lawyer. I'm Madison Nomura, and I'm here with Mike Gary, the Financial Advisor and Lawyer. Hi, Maddie. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Are you ready for this after yeah. all this? Yes. Yes, I, I'm, I'm ready to tackle this. So for listeners, Maddie's been working for about six months um, behind the scenes to get this straightened out. So it looks like we're winging it. <sighs> this is a lot of work. It's a ton of work. I'll tell you that. It definitely is. It is. It was fun, though. It was cool. Yeah. And I think it'll be worth it. Absolutely. Hopefully, hopefully we'll help some people. That's that's the end goal, right? Yeah. That's the goal. Mike is the founder and CEO of Yardley Wealth Management, a firm he founded in 2006. We are located right outside of Philadelphia in Yardley, which is in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. So, Mike, do you want to explain the purpose of this podcast and what you're hoping to do with it? We are really hoping to help people. Uh, And we want to do that by having honest conversations. You and I, and sometimes with guests, we'll talk about different things, talk about best practices, uh, some financial rules and regulations. And we'll even talk about things that we see in the media that uh, sometimes I don't think are right or are done without the proper context. There's a Wall Street Journal podcast uh, from from recently that uh, we're going to dive into in episode two or three that I'm really looking forward to talking about. Yes, me too. Me too. So where did the name Not Just Numbers, Honest Conversations with a Financial financial Advisor and Lawyer come from? Well, this is an old story about my oldest, who's an artist. She's a really good painter. Uh, One time when she was a teenager, she said to me, your job must be so boring, just dealing with numbers all the time. And I explained to her, like, well, I, I need to know some numbers, but but really, like, diving into numbers is about 3% of my job. And mostly what I do is, like, know what the rules are and the regulations. And so for clients, my job is to provide context so that they can make the right decisions for themselves and their families. And so I need to know numbers, but that's just a small part of the overall conversation with a financial advisor. And so you know how hard it is to try to find a title that's not already taken by somebody. Um, the not just numbers kind of resonated. For some reason, I remembered that story recently. And then I threw in and lawyer because you know what? Estate planning is a big part of it. I am a lawyer. I paid all that money to go to law school all those years ago, passed the bar back in 96 and have been maintaining my um, continuing education credits and paying to keep my licenses. So we might as well use it. So what is Yardley Wealth Management? Yardley Wealth Management is an independent registered investment advisory firm. It's wholly owned by me and my wife, Rachel. And we'll talk about Rachel in some of these podcasts, I think. Um, And it's registered by the SEC because we manage more than $100 million of our clients' uh, money for them. And a registered investment advisor, uh, we are independent. um, And so it's just owned by me and my wife. We don't work for a bank, a brokerage firm, or an insurance company, uh, as most advisors do. Even most independent advisors, they say when they say independent, it means they don't work at one of the big Wall Street banks like Merrill Lynch or, or Morgan Stanley. It means they work for an independent broker, which is like Raymond James or uh, LPL or Edward Jones. 
it's still not entirely independent. You know, it's not not the same as the Wall Street places, but it's still not, not totally independent. And that's not YWM. No, yeah, we are totally independent. Awesome. So what's the mission of YWM? The mission of Yardley Wealth Management is to provide peace of mind and security by spreading financial, by providing leading edge wealth management and education. So we really try to help people learn and we, we try to do our best for our clients to make sure that that they have peace of mind knowing that they're they're doing the right things with their money and everything related to their finances. Right. So are you a fiduciary? I am a fiduciary. And Yardley Wealth Management is a fiduciary firm, and we're fiduciaries all the time. You know, that's the uh, so-called F word, fiduciary. Um, it's, it's become more popular in the last few years. And, and just now, in the last three to five years, clients have started to look for a fiduciary advisor. And I think it's important. Um, a lot of people don't know it's a thing. Um, and only maybe 5% of advisors are fiduciaries all the time. And what does that mean to be a fiduciary? It means you need to put your interest, your client's interests first and act with loyalty and good faith to them. And so that seems to be the right standard for an advisor, right? It's hard to believe that like 95% of advisors don't have to follow that standard. Um, one funny, quirky thing is that for a lot of independent advisors, um, they act as fiduciaries sometimes. So if they manage a so-called wrap account or, or they um, get a manager for a separately managed account for you, um, for that account, they need to act as a fiduciary because they're managing money or paying someone to manage money for you. You're actually paying for it. Anyway, in most situations, though, they don't have to act as a fiduciary. So that is a bonkers regulatory scheme, right? Scheme. What <laughs> you have to act with good faith and loyalty to your client sometimes. What the heck does that mean? <laughs> How do you do it sometimes? You put on your fiduciary hat and say, okay, well, this is the right allocation for this account. And then take off the fiduciary hat and sell like a, a structured product or a non-traded REIT and make a giant commission. I think for people who are looking for an advisor, um, they need to look for someone who is a fiduciary to them all the time. There's thousands of us out there. There's no reason to hire someone who's not going to put your interests first. And don't just say, oh, well, my my guy's a nice guy. He's okay. He doesn't have to put my interest first. I'm sure he does. Well, maybe he does. Um, but, I mean, that's the thing with conflicts of interest. You know, the person making the decisions doesn't necessarily know or realize all the time how conflicted their interests are, right? Um, it's just like Congress. Everybody hates Congress, but then keeps keeps reelecting their own congressperson. Well, <laughs> Maybe maybe advisory is is the same thing. You know, like I think you owe it to yourself to have someone who will always act in good faith and loyalty and put your interests first. If that's an option, why not take it? Sorry for that rant, Maddie. It's, it's one of those things that will get me talking and talking. Yes, yes. So how do people know who's a fiduciary? Like I know you can advertise as one, but how is there any other way people could know? 
Yeah. So, I mean, ask your advisor and ask them to put in writing that, that, that they will act as a fiduciary and that they always will. Um, another, another way of looking, you know, without asking your advisor is if on their website, they have disclaimers for a brokerage company, then they're not acting as a fiduciary. So if it says securities offered by Raymond James or LPL or something in the fine print on their website, then they will not be able to act as a fiduciary. Okay. So how are you compensated for your services? Sure. We charge clients a percentage based on the amount of the um, money that we manage for them. Um, and that's one and a quarter percent on the first million dollars. And then it gets cheaper above that. It's one percent from one to two and a half, eight tenths of a percent from two and a half to five and six tenths of a percent above five million dollars. Uh, and we do that quarterly and in arrears. So somebody's the value of somebody's account on March 31st, we do the, the billing a few days into the next quarter and the account gets debited for the fee. And we don't make any commissions for anything. So we, we really do just get paid based on the value of the account. So the value of the account goes up, we make more money. The value of the account goes down, we make less money. Um, but it doesn't matter what we put in the account, we're not going to get paid differently for that. And that's a big difference. That's where the conflict of interest lies. You know, if you go to somebody who is not a fiduciary and they have a choice of selling you something that they'll get a 1% commission for, a 4% commission for, or a 6% commission for, or for a non-trader REIT, maybe a 9 or 10% commission, what do you think they're going to do? You know, they're, they're going to choose the 1% option a lot less than they should. Uh, and that's why you need to avoid those conflicts of interest. So how many employees are in YWM? So we currently have four full-time employees and we're looking to hire another advisor. Okay. So the search is on. The search <laughs> is on. So I want to go back to you going to law school. Um, tell us about the law firm, Yardley Estate Planning. Sure. So back, uh, Yardley Estate Planning is a law firm. I'm licensed in Pennsylvania, New Jersey. Uh, we do mostly legal work for our clients of Yardley Wealth Management and for like people that we know in the neighborhood, um, friends and relatives of the people who work here. Uh, we used to offer services to the public, but we just don't have the capacity to do that anymore. And I started doing that uh, back in, we started the law firm a year after we started Yardley Wealth Management. And that wound up being, Yardley Wealth Management was February 10th, 2006. Yardley State Planning was May of 2007. And I did that when I realized like three different things came together. I went to lunch with my wife's cousin's wife, who's a lawyer um and uh great lawyer at a great firm in um in Huntington Valley uh and had a conversation with a buddy of mine who said I don't know why you don't practice you know estate planning because you you can and uh your clients need it and so we talked about it had a had a different friend look into what the um ethical rules regulations would be um and then decided to do it and it's it's helpful you know maybe somewhere between 35 and 45% of our clients have we've done their estate planning for, and it makes it easy for them so that they don't have to find another person. It won't, it's easier to communicate like updating beneficiaries and trusts and things like that. So it, it 
it was good advice from Scott all those years ago. I'm glad yeah. I did it. Yeah. Thank you, Scott. Okay. So thanks, Mike. Uh, now we talked a little bit about your firm. Uh, let's get in the topic for discussion today. Here's the hypothetical situation. Margaret is a 50-year-old woman who hasn't worked outside of the home for many years. Her husband, Paul, had a high-paying job that allowed Margaret to stay at home and raise their two children, one of whom who was still in college. Paul also took care of the family's finances, everything from paying bills monthly to managing the couple's assets and retirement planning. Last month, Paul had an unexpected heart attack and passed away suddenly. Margaret knows she has assets, but doesn't even know what or where they are, let alone how to manage them. Have you ever come across a situation like this? Unfortunately, we have. Um, You know, it's unfortunately, it's not that uncommon for someone to die in early or young. And in most situations, it's one person that manages the um, couple's money. Um, I'd say overwhelmingly, it's 90% of partners or spouses, one person does almost everything. Occasionally, bill bill pay and investments are split up, but usually one person does everything. And a lot of times the the spouse who doesn't do it or the partner who doesn't do it um, has has really no involvement in it. Uh, And so, yes, it it makes it really, really hard for the survivor. Um, And now it's even worse than it would have been 10, 15 years ago because so many accounts are online. And so 20 years ago, when somebody passed, eventually all the account statements would come in the mail. And then the um, survivor would say, oh, I have this IRA I didn't know about. Um, but now um, the, the the survivor, you know, Margaret would have to make sure that in addition to keeping an eye on the mail, she'd have to, to be able to get into Paul's uh, email and see like what email comes in and hopefully he's got like files organized um, by by either account type or by the um, place where they are, like all their Schwab statements together or what have you. Yeah, it it's a hard situation. Yeah. So how can a situation like this be avoided or at least be less tragic? Yeah. So you know, unfortunately, it can't be avoided that um, someone would die young. But I, I really do try to stress to people to have both spouses at least minimally involved. You know, even if one person does all the day to day bill pay and 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 um, investment management and insurance and everything else, um, that person really does need to make sure that they include the spouse who doesn't do anything of of that sort, you know, and it's common, you know, we split, I mean, we split duties in our house. Um, You know, Rachel takes care of the girls. Uh, I don't have 800 texts a day from them. Um, You know, it's, it's different relationship. We do different things. Um, But uh, a couple of years ago, Rachel and I decided to start uh, doing this together. And so she'll grab a glass of wine and I'll, I'll grab a beer and we'll go through the monthly bills and do them all together. And I have to say, it has been a good thing because, you know, it's hard. It's time consuming. The first couple of times it took hours, you know, now it probably takes 45 minutes or so. But, you know, we go through all the, the accounts statements together. We look at all the spending together. We're on board with everything together. You know, we're a team. 
Um, and I, I actually think it's helped. Um, you know, we see what spending is, the ebbs and flows, some things that we might regret after doing it. Um, uh, and I, I think it's a good thing. Um, and, you know, if something happened to me, uh, you know, I think she'd still have a hard time with a lot of the bills and stuff like that. But she'd have a, a good um, place to start. Um, and she would be able to, she would know where to find the passwords. She would know which bills get paid when and where she writes them in the checking account or in the checkbook. So she does literally see them. Um, and so it would still be hard, but, you know, we also have a relationship with a CPA. So a lot of people don't necessarily have, and, um, you know, as part of our contingency plan for the firm, if something happens to me, there's another advisor nearby buys the firm from Rachel or if something happens to both of us buys it from both of us. Um, and so assuming I go before her and too young, you know, she'd have an advisor in place already that, that she knows and has had dinner with a couple of times a CPA in place that's done our taxes for a long time now. Um, and she's done the bills. So she would be a lot more prepared than she would have been five or 10 years ago. Um, but that's only really because we took those active steps because at one point um, something happened with somebody else. And um, I realized that that was a, was a big weakness that we had and wanted to, to make take the steps to, to fix it. Uh, sorry for that big rambling answer, but. Yeah, absolutely. It's always good to be prepared. I know no one likes to think about it, but I mean, you never know when things are going to happen or things right. are going to come up. So we talked about um, how to avoid it for it to be at least a little less tragic, but um, what should Margaret do? I mean, obviously it's too late and never for her. So what should she do? Yeah. So, so she has like a disaster plan now. So the first thing she needs to do is see if she has any kind of income um, or any kind of assets to create an income stream for her. And so um, if if Paul hadn't used a CPA or a financial advisor, she probably should need to hire both. Um, she needs to call Paul's place of employment to see if he has benefits, uh, life insurance, hopefully, um, and what whatever accounts he has or, or any other employee benefits that he might have. Um, and I think that she really, you know, I know it sounds self-serving as a financial advisor, but I think a financial advisor would help because she needs to come up with some sort of a balance sheet and a, and a proposed income statement to see if she can at least temporarily maintain her current situation or does she need to move her kids into a smaller house or an apartment or something? Um, and, and so hiring a financial advisor, the advisor will be able to, to give her some grounding, to listen to her, let her, let her speak about what's going on um, and help come up with a game plan. Um, a lot of this stuff is hard enough, even if you do it. And if you don't do it and you're dealing with it while raising children and, and grieving a spouse, it's, it it would just really, really be a hard situation. And so I, I think it would be a great idea for her to find a financial advisor and, and a CPA. Okay. So I know we kind of talked about it already. So what, what else could couples do to avoid this situation? Yeah, I think the big thing is really to have uh, open conversation and a plan 
even if you don't have an advisor, you don't need an advisor to, to have a plan. You know, if as you're working through things, you and your spouse or partner, you know, have a plan where, you know, you're going to set aside a certain amount each month in your retirement accounts at work, a certain amount in savings, pay down certain debts, make certain investments, have certain insurance. Like if you know all of that stuff um, and have contingency plans, say like, hey, Paul should have 10 times his income in life insurance. And then between that and the amount of assets that they built, you know, in the previous 20 years or 25 years, um, there's a good chance she would have enough to, to live on. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it really takes like, come up with a plan, update it every year or so, so, so everybody knows what's going on, and then uh, then roll with it. And it will be difficult. It's a, it's a hard situation. Life can be hard sometimes. Yes, yes. So for more information on YWM, you can visit our website, yardsleywealth.net. You can also follow us on socials at Yardley Wealth Management. This podcast has been produced by myself, Madison DeMora, and Mike Gary, with technical and artistic help from Poe Productions.